Hey, what's good, everybody? I'm Armand Lee, and this is the Quarterly Report. Thank you so much for listening. On this week's show, Colin Coward has once again taken a shot at John Wall. But are we in the DMV partially to blame? I'll dig in deeper on that topic. Plus, you know, Bill Simmons put on his cousin, you know, Cousin Sal. So I said, F it. I'm going to put my cousin on as well. We're going to talk DC sports with my cousin, Sadiq Abdul. All that and so much more, but we're going to get things started with a fight that I still can't believe may happen. And even more that y'all want to see with our first topic. First quarter. Of course, I'm talking about Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather. Now, you know, I've been pushing this story, you know, aside since I've started doing this show. Kind of almost just hoping that people get their senses and realize how dumb this entire idea is. But this story, this, this fight keeps coming. And for whatever reason, people have demanded this fight. There's so much money in this potential fight that it's going to happen. And I am literally in awe, like shocked that people think that this, fight is something not just something that deserves your money but your attention so i kept putting it off to the side but last friday on the jim rome show dana white was saying you know look we're getting close uh to meeting my you know financial needs for this fight and it seems as if dana white is literally the only hurdle like no disrespect to Conor McGregor or any UFC fighter or MMA, but Dana White runs that, you know, with an iron fist. So his pockets get, you know, his pockets get served first. So clearly for this fight to happen, A side is Floyd. Floyd is an amazing businessman. However you feel about him outside of the ring or even in the ring, one thing that we can't deny is, you know, as far as business acumen goes, Floyd is a mastermind, right? He's the he's the highest paid athlete in the entire world, which is crazy considering how, you know, he's fighting in a sport that isn't huge in America and he's not really an exciting fighter. Yet people will pay so much money to see him. I mean, he's really got it all figured out. And B-side is Dana White, not McGregor, but White. White, Dana White controls the entire Conor McGregor side of this in terms of if Dana White doesn't want Conor McGregor to fight, he's not going to fight. So that leaves McGregor in this weird limbo where he's really the third party in negotiating this fight, although he himself is a huge star. He's branded himself quite well. But again, he's the third party in getting this fight negotiated. But I don't even really want to talk about that. Just the idea, not even from McGregor's standpoint, because he's a fighter, he's a businessman himself, and I get why he's doing this, right? It's going to be the biggest payday of his entire career. But what I'm most confused of is the fan, the fans, the people who want to see this fight from the McGregor side. Y'all actually think he has a shot? Like, let me save you a hundred plus dollars and whatever emotional ties you may have to him. He's going to get his ass kicked, young. Like, why? I don't know how you guys can contort yourselves mentally or emotionally to think that Conor McGregor has a, any, any semblance of a shot against Floyd Mayweather in a boxing match. Like, like, remove yourself emotionally. Again, I know Floyd is not a likable athlete, so if you dislike Floyd, I get it. But also think about this. Your disdain, your ill will toward Floyd has made him so rich. Like the second half of Floyd Mayweather's career is literally built on people hoping that his opponent kicks his ass and they haven't done it. And those opponents were people 
who have trained the majority of their lives at boxing. Boxing, right? Mixed martial arts is a completely different discipline. Like, it's totally different than boxing. So, if you somehow think that for a year, let's say two years of just training strictly in boxing, Conor McGregor would have a shot against um, an average boxer, an average middle, middle, you know, rated boxer, you'd be crazy. But to fight one of the best boxers of all time, like, why would you want to waste your money? So let's break this down practically, you know, because I feel like if I just tell you it's silly, you're, you'll just turn me off and you won't listen. And then I become like white noise or whatever. Right. So I'll try to break these down, you know, from a practical level and see if I can sway you, any of you who may be listening to my voice right now, who is interested in purchasing this fight, or even more so, people who think Conor McGregor has a shot or think he can win or will win. So a lot of people, you know, and I'm not a, a big MMA guy at all, but, you know, I, I know a lot of people who love the sport, and I try to form my opinions based on people who are knowledgeable. So a lot of people are like, yo, man, Conor, he's got hands. Conor McGregor is a really good striker, so Floyd could get caught. And, yes, technically, if you're in a boxing ring, anybody can get caught, right? Tarver caught Roy Jones famously. I mean, that type of stuff happens. But... Floyd Mayweather has made his career off of being an amazing defensive fighter. Why do you think Conor McGregor will, will have the key to do something that no other fighter that Floyd has fought has? You know what I mean? Like, Conor McGregor in his X amount of time devoted completely to boxing will figure out things that all these great fighters all these 49 other fighters haven't figured out. That's crazy. Floyd has built his 49 and no record off of his defense. So Conor McGregor, if, if you think that Conor McGregor is just going to come into a ring and sneak attack Floyd and just catch him, man, that's not really something I'd be willing to base or build the foundation of my training on. Like, yo, Conor's just going to catch him. Nah, Slim. Number two. Let's say Conor does have great hands. MMA gloves are what, four ounces? <laughs> when you're fighting in a boxing ring, you're going to be wearing 10-ounce gloves. Ten. There is a difference between knocking somebody out with MMA gloves and then with boxing gloves. We all can understand that. He's swinging in gloves that he's never swung on before. Whereas Floyd, think about this. Look at Conor McGregor and then look at like someone like Canelo. Canelo wasn't able to touch Floyd. Why do you think Conor will? And why do you think Conor is a bigger puncher than Canelo? Ask yourself this honest question. If I said I have a million dollars right here in my hand and I will give it to you, but you got to take a punch from one of these two guys. And I have Conor McGregor on one side and Canelo Alvarez on the other. Which fighter would you rather get punched by you know you're not going to take a punch from canelo canelo's a bigger come on joe like so why do you think conor mcgregor has more lethal hands than someone like canelo doesn't make any sense let's think about hand speed mcgregor's hand speed isn't like Cotto or pacquiao like come on joe or zab in his prime what are we talking about you understand? And the arrogance of the entire argument is nauseating. You know what I mean? Think of it like this. I feel like the most physically fit athlete that we have are soccer players, right? You had a soccer player play in the NHL. He would be disastrous. He Not only just because of the skill, but physically. He would not be able to do it if you just took a soccer player and gave him a year to train and learn the game of hockey. If you just drop them in a hockey game 
against one of the best hockey teams, he would be physically exhausted, let alone just bad because the skill of the game is so different. But physically, you would be using muscles that you are not accustomed to. Similarly, if you were to take a hockey player, great athletes, and drop them in a basketball game, they wouldn't be able to they wouldn't be able to go. You've got basketball guys in the playoffs routinely playing 42 or more minutes a game. If you're a hockey player and you're fit and you're used to skating up and down the ice, but then you're have to jump and rebound and box out and post up and dribble crossover for 42 minutes, they wouldn't be able to do it, not because they're not great athletes, but because they're not trained, they're not accustomed to working their bodies and their muscles to doing that sport. Likewise, take a basketball player, probably the most athletic people on this planet, put them in a football game. Physically, they would not be able to do it, so forth and so on. So why do we think that Conor McGregor, despite that their sports are similar because you can hit people, you know, like boxing and, and MMA, the sports, while you can strike people, they're similar in that, they're completely different in almost every other way. There are no rest periods in boxing. You know, you have your your minute breaks in between rounds, but you can't put anybody in a headlock and catch your breath or an arm bar or a leg lock, an ankle lock. You know what I mean? Not to say that, again, I'm not saying MMA fighters aren't in great shape and aren't great athletes. Of course they are. If Floyd tried to fight McGregor in an octagon, he'd get killed. The, but the, the sports are so different. In boxing, 36 minutes, you are on your feet, in a ring, moving, moving your head, moving your body, throwing your fists, trying to cut off the ring, trying to faint, change the level of your punches, all these different things. There is no headlock. You can't catch your breath and put somebody in the arm lock. You are on your feet the entire time of the fight. Come on, man. Like, how arrogant do you guys have to be to think that Conor McGregor has a shot in a sport that he has never done? I mean, that, who is he sparring against? Think about that. Floyd could get in the ring while he's training against a lot of guys. Who is Conor McGregor training against in terms of sparring? You think Earl Spence is going to train with McGregor or Terrence Crawford over Sally Lomitelli? None of these guys are going to get in the ring with him. This fight, at best, goes seven rounds and then is stopped by TKO. This, I'm trying to do you guys a service, right? This is me looking after the people. Don't spend your money on this. And y'all will. Y'all not going to listen to me. But it's all good. You know, I got to get this off my conscience. Don't spend your money on this. There are plenty of things you can do with $100 besides spending it, giving it to Floyd Mayweather and Dana White to see Conor McGregor get his face punched in. You understand? Do yourself a favor, man. Take your lady out to dinner. You know, get you some new shoes. Yeah, whatever you got to do. Slim, I'm trying to do y'all a solid. Stop with this fight because not only will it be disappointing, it's going to be a joke. God knows what will be said between those two guys in the buildup of the fight. We don't need that. But the fight itself is destined to be a joke at best. Six rounds of Conor McGregor getting his face punched in. That was the first round. Hopefully, y'all listen to me and take heed. But again, I know y'all won't. Make sure you follow the show. We're at Quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E -E -E Show on Twitter. Follow the show and also follow me while you're at it. I'm at Armon, A-R-M-O-N underscore Lee, L-E-E. -E. That first topic is in the books. Let's keep it moving with our second topic this week. For our second topic this week, we're going to step outside of the sporting arena, if you will, and discuss a topic that has piqued my curiosity and more so my paranoia 
since I was a little boy. Now, before we get into it, I'm going to pull the curtain back a little bit on the show. I don't do this entire show in one take. You know what I do? Some here, some there, and very rarely is it in sequential order. So I'm recording this right now. You're hearing it Thursday or later, right? But I'm, I'm recording right now on a Wednesday night. And all week when I'm recording this show, I know what I want for the first quarter. I know what I'm halftime, third, fourth, etc. But for the second topic, I was like, man, you know, I need something. I need something good. I need something that's me. So I'm thinking, and then on Wednesday, all hell breaks loose, right? First, Giselle, you know, the wife of Tom Brady, goes on CBS this morning and says her husband has suffered concussions for years now. He had a concussion last year. A lot of people are talking about it. That doesn't move me. You know, if you want to hear about that, you can hear God knows how many podcasts, God knows how many NFL shows, ad nauseum. I don't really care about that, right? I could have talked about the Celtics and winning the lottery and what are they going to do, who are they going to draft. You go on iTunes and listen to one of the earlier episodes, I believe episode three, when my man Chris Miles joined us and talked about Markel Fultz and why he thinks he is the number one hands-down pick. And then LeVar Ball, all goldie but goodie, right? He jumped out there on Wednesday, was on Colin Coward's show. Kristen Leahy jumped out there, said that he was a bad parent, and LeVar... Stepped in it again, told her to stay in her place. I don't want to talk about LeVar Ball either, right? I've done that. I've already told you he needed to chill out. He's really stepped in it right now. At the time of this recording, it looks really bad. But I'm not going to talk about that either. Because my partner, Asha, was like, yo, Armand, I know you're thinking about some ideas. It's time to, to unleash some of the new ones. And this week... I'm going to debut a new segment, a segment, again, that I've been feeling since I was a little boy, and it's called Rise of the Machines. Yes, the Rise of the Machines. No, I'm not being melodramatic. This is real. Y'all, again, I'm going to tell you this is going to be a segment periodically throughout the show where I'm going to discuss and give you guys some real life stories, okay, of how artificial intelligence is going to be the end of human civilization. So for the first segment, the first episode of this segment, I give to you, this is from futurism.com, okay? This is a real story, I'm not making this up. First off, I don't know if you guys are aware, many of you probably know who he is, but Elon Musk, okay? Elon Musk, he's the creator of Tesla. This guy's like real life Tony Stark. He's trying to solve all of the Earth's issues via technology, right? Noble cause, stupid idea. So listen to what Elon Musk and his group of nerds are trying to do to end all of our lives, right? From futurism.com. If imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. OpenAI's newest robot system should leave humanity blushing. Not only can it successfully replicate human behaviors, it can do so after a single demonstration of the task. Slim, but it's not over. That's not even the worst part. Continue, quote, beyond OpenAI, researchers are already finding ways to teach robots to do everything from read to dream. To dream, can they continue? They've created AI systems that can learn on their own and even ones that can teach each other. Slim. These bombers act like they have never seen a sci-fi movie in their lives. Again, I didn't make that up. That is a real story. Yo, what the f are they thinking? Slim, have they seen one, a single Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, a single Will Smith movie between the two of them, they got like 800 movies that tell the same story, right? You rely on technology to help us as humans. At some point, AI gets too smart and they're like, yo, humans are irrational. Humans are wasteful. They are ruining they're only planet, they're dangerous, they're violence, they need to be controlled. 
we are going to control them. And then we all die. Slim, that's how all those movies end. John Connor has been trying to warn us since 1984. These bombers are making, okay, let me calm down, right? Because you know, I told y'all, I've been kind of weary of technology since I was a little boy, okay? I've been a curmudgeon since I was like six. I remember vividly talking to my sister and my pops and my mom, and I would be like, yo, computers, I don't want a computer, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use a typewriter. I'm like a kid talking about I'm gonna use a typewriter. You know what I'm saying? But like, I remember when I first found out that humans were trying to make robots smart enough to beat Bobby Fischer in chess. And I was like, what are they doing? You know what I'm saying? And now we at a point where we are creating robots who know how to dream and can teach each other so they can communicate with each other. Slim. What the f We already got enough problems, yo. We don't need the robots to come after us, Joe. And I know I sound like, you know, Randy Quaid. I sound like a coop. But Slim, feel me. Why do you need a robot to dream? You know what I'm saying? Like, have, they haven't watched a single science fiction movie. Because if you watch Tron, or you watch, you know, any of the nine Terminator movies, you know that this is stupid, and it doesn't end well. Elon Musk, he gonna end up like the Black Bama from Terminator 2, you know, who tried to save the arm and get his ass blown up. You know what I'm saying? So, in the first episode, again, of Rise of the Machines, I felt it was my obligation to share with you all how crazy AI is coming and what we're about to, you know, voluntarily walk into. Y'all could laugh, you know what I'm saying? I could hear it right now. Y'all haven't even heard it yet, and I can hear you laughing, telling me I'm tripping. That's fine. When it, go, when it all goes down, they'll come to my bunker, okay? It's gonna be for Chloe, it's gonna be for Duana, it's gonna be for me. Y'all man, is short, okay? I'm wanting y'all now, Slim. Robots who can dream, get the out of here. Again, that was the very first in a long set of segments called Rise of the Machine. Again, I had to get that off my chest. The robots are coming. I feel like the new age Black Paul Revere, man. The robots are coming. But anyway, thank you so much for indulging me on that. You know, I know it's a sports podcast, but from time to time, I'm going to jump up out of the sports world and talk about some other things. And hopefully, you either informed or entertained or hopefully both. But that was the second quarter. I am still Armand Lee, and you are listening to the Quarterly Report. Make sure you follow me on Twitter. I'm at Armand, A-R-M-O-N underscore L-E-E, and follow the show at Quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. So you heard the horn, and we all know what that means. It means it's time for halftime. This week, I decided to bring back an old element from one of the earlier shows, uh, looking back at athletes who we thought were going to reach superstar status, but at some point fell off. And this one hurts me because this guy used to be my favorite basketball player, but damn, homie. That's right. This week's edition of Sports Wankster goes to none other than Steve Francis. And that hurts my soul. Steve Francis, the franchise, y'all remember him, former Maryland Terp. It was the Houston Rocket, Orlando Magic Hell. He was even a New York Knicks. But damn, have y'all seen him lately? Eesh. I mean, y'all remember a few years ago, he had the situation where he was pouring liquor on himself singing Beyonce in the club then at a low ball concert somebody punched him and took his chain but now I gotta say Steve Francis is this week's sports wankster because he couldn't even get drafted in Ice Cube's three-on-three league I the three-on-three league is a lot of things and I'll talk about that in later episodes it's got me intrigued, but it's a bunch of former NBA players who are playing three-on-three basketball. 
Steve Francis tried out. They had tryouts. Steve Francis tried out to get into the three-on-three league, and he didn't get drafted. <laughs> oh, franchise. Baby, man, Steve was the man back in the day. This hurts my soul. Steve Francis had a commercial with Scarface rapping in the joint. It was a legend. If you're like me, I'm 34, so if you're like anywhere between like the 36 to 28 range, you love franchise. If you went to Maryland, you love Francis. Oh my God, he was a king. People forget the Vince Carter Stamp Dunk Contest was amazing. But part of the reason it was amazing is because Steve was a beast too. But now you singing Beyonce pouring liquor on yourself, you can't even get in the league. Slim. Charles Oakley got drafted. And I love Oak. Shout out to Oak. But you can't? Oh, Steve Francis. Damn, homie. In high school, you was the man, homie. What the fuck happened to you? Oh, again, man. Franchise. I'm not even trying to be funny for real. Like, he was legit one of my favorite players, especially considering when he was at his peak, he wasn't a Nick. So for me to like somebody who's not a Nick and for you to be like one of my favorite players, that literally speaks volumes, man. But seeing Stevie now, oh, and then the fact that he couldn't get in the big three league, you know what I'm saying? Look look at some of the rosters. Joe Al Harrington is in the big three basketball league. You know what I'm saying? Like, come on, bro. You couldn't get Katino Mobley in that joint. That's your man. Stevie, man, like for real though, I hope – I hope whatever he's going through, it works out, man, because it's been a rough few years for the franchise. All right, enough about that. We're going we're gonna to flip it back to positive. Good energy for the second half of the quarterly report. Again, I'm your host, Armand Lee. Thank you so much for riding with me. But again, the halftime adjustments have been made, so it's on to the second half. We're going to do what we got to do to pull out this W. And for my guest this week, I'm going to bring in my family, you know what I mean? But not just because he's my family, but because he knows what he's talking about. And D.C. sports and D.C. fandom has kind of come under attack the last 7 or 14 days. So who better to talk about D.C. sports than someone actually from D.C., promoter, basketball analyst, and my cousin, Sadiq Abdul. Sadiq, what's going on, man? Thank you for joining me this week on the show. Hey, Armand, how you doing, man? Thank you for having me on. No problem, no problem. All right, man, so, you know, it's been a rough recent stretch for D.C. sports. We're going to focus specifically, though, on the Wizards for this segment. All right, so Game Seven's loss is still fresh, you know, in our minds and many of your guys' hearts. So from someone who knows the game, someone who covers the game, what is the biggest takeaway or reason for Monday night's loss? I have a lot of them. Scotty Brooks is not who I thought he was. By saying that, I would say I thought he was a more polished coach or, you know, a coach that X and O's, he, he made adjustments, anything like that. I guess I got fooled by the 2011-2012 uh, championship uh, run that they, you know, OKC went on. But maybe – even I or anybody, you, whoever, probably could have coached that OKC team with the talent that they had. I understand they were young, and they still made it. You know, wasn't nobody going to beat LeBron because he was determined, you know, after just losing to Dallas. But that's the takeaway I get. Scotty Brooks is not who I thought he was. Now, I understand it's his first year, first year here, first year bringing the system here. So you kind of got to, you know, give a little leeway, you know, be a little patient. But at the same time, when you're in game seven and you have a lead on the road, at halftime, you're where you want to be. You have to make any type of adjustments or do what you have to do to win that game. As simple as that. And um, I really have a problem with Kelly O'Leary killing us. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of all people, I've been okay with it. The stuff he's been through, you know, sister passing, losing teeth, every other play, all type of stuff that we go through with that. I'd have been okay. I'd have been okay with them, you know, letting him drop fifty or whatever, killing us. I'd have been okay with. You know, Al Horford, because, you know, he just became off free agency. You know, he's a, he's a big-time player. He's been an all-star. But Kelly Olenek, come on, man. The highest he has ever scored was 14, as they said, in a playoff game. So he goes for 26. I have a problem with that. Like, you have to make adjustments as a, as a coach. Now, 
I would have, me personally, I was watching the game, and I wanted, and now, you know, there's rumors and, and, and reports coming out that Kelly Oubre's knee is kind of messed up. But just as a man, I would have checked Kelly Olenek's heart. Him and Oubre got into it in game three, was it, or was it game four? Game three at home. Just for the fact, I don't know, you know, Kelly Olenek, I don't know him at all or anything like that, but I'm bringing Kelly Oubre on, Junior. You know, Junior's what we call him, so just for the sake of this, I'm just I'm going to call him Junior. We call him, you know, Junior, I would have put him out there and see what he can do and just rough him up or just anything, touch him up a little bit because basically when it comes to role players, you have to kill them early. You know, so Kelly Olenek got started first quarter, second quarter, killing himself, you know, faking passes and going past Bohemi and laying it up and all this. Right then and there, you got to make adjustments. you got to realize this is not the series or even the game. I'll say that. This is not the game for Bohemi. He just got back basically at the beginning of this series for the whole playoffs. So we're we're like maybe, what, seven plus six, you know, we're 13 games into the, the playoffs as a Wizards. But Bohemi's only seven games in or, or even six. I don't even think he played the first game. So, therefore, his rhythm is not all the way there. He's not even a, a, a quick center. He's a center that checks back-to-the-basket type of centers. So, therefore, when Olenek is doing what he has to do, you have to make adjustments. So, that's one. That's, that's basically – and I also have a problem with the minutes. He gave too many minutes to these guys. I understand this game seven is do or die. you got to go out guns, blades, and all that. I understand this. But what are you going to do when your guns have no ammo in them? That's basically who John Wall was in the fourth quarter. He's, he's your top gun, you know. Right now, at first, at first I always say he was one and, and Bill was two, but right now they might be 1A and 1B because I will give Bradley Bill all the props in the world because that boy was going. But the last two or three minutes of the, court, of the fourth quarter in the game, you can even see it. Bradley even started to get tired. He played, you know, it was only 48 minutes in the game. Bradley played 45. Wall played 44. So, I mean, it is what it is. That's, that's my take for the game seven to answer your question. Again, I'm joined now by promoter and D.C. basketball analyst Sadiq Abdul. Um, as you said, man, listening to you, you can tell that that loss is still cuts deep, right? That wound is still oh, it fresh. It hurt. <laughs> but um, I want to go bigger picture, right? Game six obviously ended with heroics from John Wall. It was the biggest shot of his career, and it wasn't the biggest shot in franchise history because the franchise, you know, takes into consideration the bullets, right? But absolutely it was the biggest shot in Wizards history. But we've we've come up on a weird point with John. You know, nationally, he's getting a, a lot of flack. And, you know, a lot of that stuff is crazy. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. But what bothers me the most is locally. Locally, John Wall is getting some shots. Um, so again, like I said, you're from born and bred from the city as someone who loves the wizards, someone who, you know, you and your friends love the wizards. How do you view John wall? Um, and also secondly, as a star, where would you rank John wall among area athletes and his star power? Okay. Great, great, great. question. All right. Um, as far as star power, currently 2017 May, he's number one. Now in my and that's citywide, but in my heart, as a DC guy growing up, the stuff we done seen and everything, he's number two in my heart because right now Kelly Oubre Jr. is number one. All right, <laughs> the way he went at Olympia, no, I'm still yeah. proud of the boy. Like he's fast out, and not only that, after the fact, I found that he'd been through Katrina growing up and all that type of stuff. So therefore, he has heart. You know, he's been through some real stuff. <laughs> okay. Like right, I thought he was. Right. I thought he basically was a pretty boy that wanted to do the little. Um, what's the boy up for the Giants? You know, Odell Beckham. I thought he was one of those pretty little Odell Beckham boys. Want to get tapped on his uh, ass and all that type of stuff. Ain't none of that. Anyway, to answer your question though, the flack that John is getting and the criticism is it, really unwarranted. It's, it's ridiculous. But it, basically, that. But that's 2017. The information age that we are in. Right. Right. The social media people. You, you find so much negativity now that people want to say, they can say what they want to say now, and nobody's scared anymore of, of being either politically correct or just, or everybody's rude now, and it's okay. Like, it's okay to be rude. It's kind of cool, I guess, in a sense. But let's be real. 
Right now, as if John was one of my friends, the way he plays on the court, if he was one of my friends, I would fight with him. I'm talking about, like, <laughs> if something went down with somebody trying to hurt somebody's family member or you had a cook or anything happened, no. I'm, going, I'm going to bat with John. That's how type of player he is. Like he, I don't think he sells any of his teammates short. He's never talked bad about anybody, you know, that I know of that I've seen. You know what? I feel never, you. Know. you know, he doesn't embarrass anybody. You know, he, he's a, as a competitor, he might get on, like, Gortai here and there where he tells Gortai, you need to dunk that. But that's being a leader. He's being right. You need to dunk that. You can't just lay it up sometimes. But the, the flack that John is getting and, and all this criticism, it's just people need something to say. Basically, the media, they have to, you know, they have to bash somebody. Basically, for Wall, he didn't have a jumper or he goes too fast. You know, he's OC. Everything that people knocked about him, he has improved. He has came back. And then, he, and then this season, he also came back from two knee surgeries. Yeah, that's real. Like, let's be real. The basketball is about knees. You know, basketball is about your legs and all that. So, you know, anybody that comes back from two knee surgeries, he should not have done the things he's done this year. That boy has heart. He is a winner and all, you know, so he hasn't won a championship yet, but you can still see that it's coming. Basically, it's on Ernie to get Wall the championship because Wall's going to get one on the court. Absolutely, man. And, you know, the crazy thing is, and, you know, I'm not even talking nationally right now because, you know, certain people, they're going to say whatever they got to say, you know what I mean, to get attention, exactly. to get recognition, clicks, ratings, whatever. But, like, locally, we know, like, people forget where this franchise was before John got here. Like, it was real. Javaris Crittenton, Gilbert Arenas. Oh, man. I'm going to tell you like this. We were the only team on earth that was basically on some city type. I mean, real city stuff. Basically, when John got drafted, it was because Gilbert and what's the boy, Crittenton, they were going through some gun type. Of, like, who, what type of play? You, you guys are millionaires. You know what I'm saying? You're, you're living a good life. You, they ready to shoot each other in the locker room. Not not duke it out. Not fight or wrestle or do whatever you got to do. As like, Javaris was a goal. Like, he was a real one. He, was, he wasn't playing. Like, put gun, like, basically, we were a franchise that was just down and out. It's a reason why we got the number one pick. You know what I mean? Anytime you get a number one pick, you, you, you suck. Let's be real. You suck at some point. So, therefore, the, where Wall has, you know, pushed us to, man, he's, it's, it should be no criticism of him at all. And the criticism, if anything, like I said before, it should be on Ernie or it should be on Scott Brooks this season, at least, you know, Scott Brooks this season. But uh, I, I'm, man, I'm all for Wall. All right. Once again, I'm joined by D.C. promoter, D.C. sports enthusiast and analyst, my cousin Sadiq Abdul. Um, now you just brought up Ernie Grunfeld and Scott Brooks. So I think we all would agree, even though we're disappointed in game seven, that this season as a whole was a success. So I'm gonna ask you, let's say, you know, you discovered a genie lamp, you know, you rubbed it, genie came out and was like, look, I'll grant you one wish to change anything for the Wizards next season, what would that be? All right. Can I do the thing that we did when we were all five years old when we got asked that question? Can I make that one wish turn into a million wishes? <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> you know, no, sir. Can I do that? Or at least five wishes. Can I turn that one wish into five wishes? <laughs> nah, um, we stick it to the one wish joint. One thing to fix next season. Yes, just one wish. Uh, one wish? Man, you're making it hard. Uh, I would say right now for Ernie – to earn his keep as far as uh, being a GM, or maybe just um, just be more aggressive. The last few years, I mean, he's made trades, you know, to get Marquise here, to get uh, Bojanovic here. He's made little moves here and there, and it's not hard drafting. Like, when you have a high draft pick, it's not hard drafting the top five guys that are projected. Because if one of them gets picked, then you just pick the other one. So, therefore, it's not hard picking Wall. We just have to be number one if you pick Wall. Two years later, you pick Bradley Bill at three. That's not hard because, you know, he's a top, you know, top three, four, five guys. Not hard next year to pick Porter. My thing is, I want him to be aggressive of getting some free agency. I mean, KD is from here, and he didn't even want to sit down with us. Like, my thing is, I would have been like, no, no, KD, you're going to at least come meet with us. That's the one thing I do love about the Redskins, to get off top of it real quick. One thing is, without the Redskins, you come here, you're not leaving. Let's be real. We might have paid uh, uh, Hainsworth, you know, the big guy too much at the time, but when he came, he was, he was highly sought after from everybody. He stayed. Josh Norman last year, when he got cut, you know, things happened with him, he stayed. I mean, uh, Deshaun Jackson, he stayed. And that's what I want Ernie to do. I want Ernie to be so aggressive in free agency. Like, this year, it's, so, it's a lot of guys. Like, let's even, be, let's even be aggressive with trades. Like, you know, try to, try to throw, throw a scenario out there, throw something out there to another team. If they tell you no, so what? 
Like, I mean, my thing is, I feel like not even knock Ernie. He might even hear this, so therefore I don't want him to, you know, be totally upset. But Ernie, do your job and be a little more aggressive. Ernie seems like the type where basically if he's, in, if he's somewhere at a nice bar, a nice restaurant, a beautiful girl walking around, he's not going to walk up to her and say something. He's going to either send his friend over there all shy, or hopefully he's probably going to look her up on social media and probably send her a DM, do something, just something real weak. You know what I mean? I need you to be aggressive. Go there and be a man and be like, look, I want you, blah, 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 let's do this, dinner, anything. And if she says no, she says no. That's what I want him to do. Right now, me personally, I love to go get mellow because he fits our team. I know people knocking that and all that, but mellow fits our team because the times that we couldn't score yesterday in that fourth quarter when we were tired and the game kind of slowed down a little bit, half court, that's who he is. He's a bully. He's going to get free throws. He's going to get his own miss, rebounds, anything. And right now, and plus you want to kind of get somebody that's going through something in their life sometimes. You know what I mean? He's going through something, you know, marriage. I'm not going to speak on that too much but you know, because I respect that. But at the same time, you kind of want to get somebody there because he has something to prove now. Look, speaking as a Knicks fan, I would love for you guys to take Melo off our hands. I don't know how realistic it is because it would have to be a trade, but Phil Jackson has staked his claim as the worst general manager in sports. So it may be worth the shot. You know, I don't know how realistic, but why not? You know, to your point, be aggressive. Again, I'm joined by D.C. born and bred, D.C. promoter and sports enthusiast, Sadiq Abdul. Deke, I'm going to get you out of here on this last question. It's been a rough go for D.C. sports recently and really since the 90s, right? Early 90s. Um, Caps and Wizards losing game seven in the second round. Um, we know about the football team and how they lost their regular season finale just to get to the playoffs. And the Nats can't seem to get to a championship series either. So as someone, again, who's born and raised in the city, do you believe in a D.C. sports curse? All right. No, I do not in the sense of curse. I mean, it sounds good when it comes to sports, just like, you know, they said the Cubs had a curse and things of that nature. So I don't believe in the word curse. We have – I hate to say bad luck because bad luck is also cursed in a sense. We just – we suck. <laughs> <laughs> now, and it might not be the players. We have always had the talent. It might not be the coaches who know what they're doing, but it never equals up somehow. And then I don't know if we just, you know, we choke as far as, like, you know, something like the Nationals and, and, and the Capitals. I'm sorry, but that counts as choke. I mean, the Wizards haven't even been to a chance – haven't even got a chance to choke. The Redskins choked in Week 17 against a team that basically the Giants – I mean, the Giants went for it on third down. They ran the ball. And, you know, they just gave us that game, and we did nothing. So, no, I'm going to say no to the curse. But what it is, it's Washington, D.C., and we've been lied to. It's simple as that. They lied to us all season, tell us, basically, we're a good team. We're going to get there, you know, in their play. They don't – you know, they don't come out and actually say it, but in their play. You know, the Wizards, oh, we're a good team this year. Bloom, boom, bloom. We get to a game seven, they lose. You know, whatever the reason, they lose. Same thing with the Redskins. All season, they've been a playoff team, you know, since, like, the playoff, you know, projections that come out, like, mid-season, like, week eight, you know, around that time. All season, we sitting in the fourth, the fifth, and sixth seed. We get to the last game, we don't make it. They lie to us. We're a good team? No, we're not. Same thing with the Cowboys now. They get to they get to the point, Penguins. We can't get over, over the hump with the Penguins and stuff like that. So, therefore, um, I'm going to say no, it's not a curse. But, I mean, it sounds good to say when you're talking, you know, at the bar, you're walking around, down Godly Place, you're talking to people about sports or anything like that, and it's like, oh, yeah, well, D.C., we just cursed. We're not, we're not necessarily cursed, but maybe it's just the brass. They need to do a lot better. Again, I want to thank my cousin, Sadiq Abdul. Born and bred in D.C. provides a unique perspective. Everybody talks about D.C. and what D.C. likes. Well, my cousin is born and bred in D.C., and you don't really get to hear from voices like that. So, Sadiq, Thank you so much for joining the quarterly report. You know I'm going to have you on in the future. Again, I really appreciate it. I uh, appreciate it all the way, bro. That was my cousin, Sadiq Abdul. As you can hear, super informative, but also super entertaining. And what's more important, he's got a voice that doesn't often get a platform to discuss sports, right? This whole week, we've heard about John Wall. And for my fourth quarter, we're going to break that down. But we've heard about John Wall. We've heard about the Wizards and how they relate to D.C. sports and the D.C. sports popularity. 
But we keep on hearing from people from Woodbridge, right? And Reston and Gaithersburg. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if we're going to talk about D.C. sports, we probably should have people who are from D.C. So we're going to go full circle with all of this with my last topic this week. So as all of you listening now know, last week Colin Coward took a shot at John Wall. And this is something that has been going on for some time. But this quarter isn't about Colin Coward. Um, You know, he's a national pundit and he's doing what he feels he has to do to, you know, make a good show. Shout out to my big bro, Chris Miller, you know, um, for expressing what many of us in this area feel. And it's quite telling that the only person who stood tall for John Wall, despite all the the coded language that came his way. And again, this is over some years now, seven years, right? The only person who stood tall for John was C. Mill. C. Mill's not from D.C. There are a lot of people who you listen to and watch on television who say they're for the area and love area sports. Nobody else stood tall for John. And I think that gets to the crooks of this entire situation. You know what I mean? Cowherd, whatever you feel about him, you know what I mean? He's good at his job, right? He does, he puts forward a good radio show. Again, I'm not going to justify anything that he has said about John Wall or anybody you know what I mean? But just overall, you don't have to like him, but you can say, you know what? He's good at radio because he is. But he's not reckless in the sense that he'll just pull something out of his behind. I honestly feel, and again, I'm just going to put the last criticism of John in a vacuum and talk about this specifically, the accusation that John's not a star and no one in D.C. loves the Wizards or John Wall And that specific argument, everything else, I'm not even going to touch because, you know, that stuff is ridiculous. And again, it's coded. But I'm just going to focus on this last bit of criticism that we've heard from not only Colin Cowherd, but people here in the area. And that is that John Wall is not a star. John Wall does not move the needle. And the Wizards don't really have a fan base in the city and in the area. He's getting that from somewhere. You know what I mean? He he doesn't care about D.C. sports. But he's well, you know, respected in the industry. You know what I mean? So I'm sure he hears or talks to or knows someone who talks to program directors. You know what I mean? Or other show hosts that you may listen to. And they're getting this from somewhere. Now, again, I thought it was super important to have my cousin on this week because so much of this topic has been, you know, clouded in and dressed in, well, D.C. sports, D.C. sports. But no one talks to people from D.C. So if you are only talking to a segment of the population that has no idea about D.C., that just came to the area recently or is from northern Virginia, Well, then, yeah, you're going to get a certain set of viewpoints, but that isn't D.C. We all know about the demographics of the city in the area. So there's no way anybody who fully knows and understands this area could say something like that, that John Wall is not a star here. You know, I was listening to the radio after game six, before game seven. And a lot of people were saying, yeah, you know, John Wall He's just now getting in the discussion of a top four D.C. athlete. And I had to turn it off. I was like, man, y'all can't be serious. Like, this can't be a real discussion. You know what I mean? Like, if you were breaking down the biggest stars of the area, you think Bryce Harper, you think Ovi, and you think John, right? Even with Kirk Cousins. He's a very good player, but so much of the attention on Kirk, like Kirk is extremely polarizing. I don't know if he's beloved, and I definitely don't think he's like a star. Like, I don't think he has star power. I think he 
plays in the most important position in this city, in this area. But I think even the biggest, you know, Washington fan would tell you, Kirk Cousins, they may love him, they may hate him, they may be indifferent about him. But I don't think even the biggest Cousins fan will say that he is a star in the sense that those other three guys are. So if we're under the impression that the biggest three stars in this area are O.V., Bryce Harper, and John Wall, which I think we would all would agree. Yeah, there are places in the city, in the area, where Bryce Harper is the most famous of the three. Alexander Ovechkin is, he may be the most, the greatest DC athlete in pro team sports ever. Like there is a reasonable debate that Alexander Ovechkin is the greatest DC sport athlete. But don't tell me that those two guys are bigger stars than John Wall in this area. Come on, man. Bryce Harper has superstar written all over him, right? Star power like oozes out of him. But unfortunately for Bryce, he plays in a sport that tries to suppress his star power. Like baseball has tried to cap Bryce Harper's star power, his individuality, like his individual superstar status since before he even made it to the bigs. There's something about that sport that doesn't want individual players expressing themselves. And I don't know why. I'm not going to get into it. So, yeah, there are definitely places where Bryce Harper will walk with John Wall and more people would flock to Bryce Harper. There is no doubt about that. But what I'm arguing is, and I think if you're honest with yourself, you know this, there are many places, not just in D.C., but in the entire area, where if John Wall and Bryce Harper were walking together, people would not know who Bryce Harper was. And that's not a fault of him because, again, he's got star written all over him. That's more a fault of his sport, but that you can't ignore that. Even in the places where people love Bryce Harper, you know who John Wall is. There are places where sports fans, sports fans don't know who Bryce Harper is. They may know the name but they can't match the name and in the face. And I know that for a fact. As, as far as Ovechkin goes, again, he may be the greatest DC sport athlete ever, but because of the sport, again, we all know there are a lot of places in this area who just, they don't tune into hockey. That's not a knock on Ovechkin, but that's the real situation. We can't ignore that. So again, if we're talking Q rating in this area, don't tell me that Alexander Ovechkin and Bryce Harper or Kirk Cousins are biggest stars than John Wall because it's not. Partly because John plays an exciting brand of basketball. Partly because John Wall looks like people who live in the city. But also, John plays in a sport that markets their stars bigger and better than anybody. John Wall was in, a, in an ad campaign for the Mummy movie. What was the last time you saw that from Ovechkin or Kirk Cousins? Kirk Cousins is doing these local Eastern Motors commercials that make no sense. You feel me? Like, we all know this, and I know a lot of you guys are going to, just as a default re reflection, you know, just will say, oh, well, he's trying to do race. And I'm not even talking race. Like, this isn't about race when it comes to John and how people locally in this market talk about the Wizards and John. Like, my cousin is a huge, the biggest Wizard fan that I know, right? And that's because I've known him my whole life. But the biggest Wizard fans beside my cousin, Ian McCoy, was on the show a few weeks ago. He's white. My guy, Doug E. Fresh, Doug McKinney, I've known him, God knows, like 13, 14 years now. He's white. So it's not a race thing. I don't, I'm not trying to say that the Wizards are portrayed by our sports media locally. It's, it's something, it may be cultural, it may be an age thing. I don't know what it is. But this idea that the Wizards don't have a fan base, Colin Coward didn't just pull that out of his ass. He's getting that from people. And when you listen to the radio here, they don't talk about the Wizards. You know what I mean? They just don't do it. And they when they do, you can kind of feel like almost like, all right, man, we're going to talk about them now. They don't give John the love. You heard more about John wearing a Cowboys jersey, you know, earlier this year than you did about him being one of the best 
10 to 15 players in the league. You understand? And I know people who work in the radio or used to work in the radio. And they we've had this conversation before. And they would tell me, you know, man, you know, when we open the lines to talk about the Wizards, we don't ever get any calls. Or, man, you know, when we talk about the Wizards, ratings drop, so we can't talk about the Wizards. And, and I, I never said it then, but I thought about it, and it stuck with me. And I, would, and I think it's like almost imagine you're at a restaurant, a seafood restaurant, you know, and you want sea bass, you know, and they're like, it's market price. And every time you go to the restaurant because you just want some sea bass, you got a taste for it. The seafood restaurant, they're like, oh, man, you know what? We don't have any in. It's still on the menu at market price, but, you know, it's out of season. We don't have any in. And over and over and over, you go to this place, and they just don't serve you what you want. You want this sea bass, but they don't have it. Now, after some time, the same restaurants on the marquee, on the menu outside or whatever, they're like, oh, we got sea bass. Sea bass is finally in. But you're not there anymore because at some point, you're going to go to a place that will serve you what you want. Right? It makes sense. Like, we, let's not make this harder than what it really is. If you keep on going to this restaurant looking for sea bass and they never have it, at some point, you're going to go elsewhere to get what you want. That same rule applies to basketball. So just because these radio stations at some point are like, okay, and now we want to talk about basketball, all the basketball fans, they've left. And you want to know where they've gone? I've had my guy Ben Standing, Locked On Wizards, right? He's the head of that, doing successful, doing great things, getting all types of downloads a day. He did a podcast a day. Bullets forever. Truth about it. Wizards of Oz. District Hoops. Those are five off the top of my head. Blogs, podcasts. These people are doing successful work on the Wizards. There would not be a Bullets Forever, a Hoops District, all these other places if the radio, if television actually met these basketball fans' desires to hear and to learn more about sports, right? The only reason that all these blogs exist is because there's been a vacuum in intelligent and real NBA discussion. You understand? Like, all this stuff makes sense when you think about it. So, no, they're not going to call into the radio anymore because y'all dog them all the time. Whenever you do talk about them, it's only because it feels like you're twisting their arm, with the exception of like a few. Like Danny Rudier, he seems like he really cares about the Wizards. So shout out to him. I like listening to that show because Danny especially, he feels like a Wizard fan. But overall, two radio stations, a network, you don't get a lot of Wizards coverage. Again, Chris Miller is the only one who stood up for John. You understand? On a, on, a, on a large platform. And you saw how successful that was. People want, people feel that. You understand? Now, just because the fan base is marginalized, just because they may not be in Rockville, you know what I mean? My cousin, people like my cousin exist. You heard it. My cousin can talk to you about the Wizards all day long. And he's not the only one. He's not an exception. So you hear all this stuff about John Wall not moving the needle and the Wizards not having a fan base. John Wall's on a mural of Ben's Chili Bowl. <laughs> Think about that. And look, Ben's Chili Bowl is not what it once was. And a lot of y'all not going to get that reference. But a lot of y'all will. So I'm going to say it again. Because I've been in D.C. my entire life. I'm not from here. But there's never been a year where I have not come here, you know what I mean? To not visit my grandmother, to visit my cousins, right? Every year in my life, I have been in D.C. Ben's Chili Bowl is not what it once was. But Ben's Chili Bowl wouldn't put Alexander Ovechkin on their mural, right? We know that. They wouldn't put Bryce Harper even on their mural or Kirk Cousins. But they put John Wall and Bradley Bill. So don't tell me the people don't feel for John. Don't tell me the people don't connect with John or the Wizards. You just got to dig deeper. You just got to actually get up out of your bubble. And look, hey, I'm in a bubble too. But my bubble forces me just because of my situation that I have to go different places. 
you can rest very comfortably in Rockville's bubble. You know what I mean? And when you hear this, when you hear people knock John Wall and you hear people knock the Wizards, just think to yourself, where are these people? Where do they go? Where do they live? Where do they work? Because what they are voicing isn't what this area is. And if you don't believe me, listen to my cousin and people like him. Again, thank you so much for listening to this quarterly report episode. I appreciate you so much. The numbers continue to grow. I can't express to you guys how much I love it. Folks who don't live in D.C., I know this episode was very D.C.-centric. Thanks for riding with me. I just had to get that stuff off my chest. We're going to be bigger and better nationally in the weeks to come. But again, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Armon, A-R-M-O-N underscore Lee, L-E-E. Also, follow this show at Quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. Thank you so much again for listening. I'll be back even better than ever next week on the Quarterly Report.